Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam, actual Sam, real actual Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist, and I am joined, not as ever, but now again, for the first time in a while, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer and I'm a director, and yeah, I've had a bit of a break because uh, I had a bereavement and so needed time to be sad. Uh, I am still sad, but uh, I am back because it's a special anniversary, isn't it, Dan? It is indeed. Um, but before we get to that, Sam, it's lovely to have you back. Oh, thank you very much. It's been really nice. I've muddled through, but it's good to have you back. Yeah, no, it's been really good. I've been listening and um, oh, yeah, you. the last episode in particular was fantastic. Uh, they've all been good though, so I don't know why. People wanted me back, but I am back, uh, and and here I am. This it is was, me. It, it was it was too difficult to change the uh, the thumbnail. Well, that I knew I knew it'd be something like that, but uh, <laughs> I think the Arrow Video Podcast with Dan has a nice ring to it. Uh, I don't know. It just doesn't fill out the space well enough. That's they true. Say, yeah, Dan and Dan. I should also well, there you go. I should also point out to the dear, sweet, precious arrowheads that uh, we are recording this in a slightly different way to normal. Uh, a bit of behind the scenes goss. Um, well, that's our thing now. We do all behind the scenes, don't we? Yeah, and I feel like I should point it out just in case uh, we are slightly more awkward than normal. We are not sitting face to face for the first time in the history of this podcast. We normally record it together. However, this time. We're doing it over Skype because one of the contractual elements of my return was that I'd never have to spend time with Dan again. And Arrow have honoured that. Yeah, most (laughs) of that's because in Sam's absence, I built a life-size effigy of him out of some clothes he left behind when he moved out and then just some hair I found. Might be his, who knows, who knows. But Sam doesn't like being in the same room as it. He says it's looking at him. Oh, uh, yeah. And sometimes it speaks to me too and tells me to do things. Uh, but one of the things it's now <laughs> telling me to do is to talk about this anniversary business. Dan, over to you. Happy birthday, Arrow. Happy birthday, a, Arrow. A decade. A uh, yeah. full decade. That's, yeah. Arrow is almost old enough to buy fags if it was still the 60s. Very true. And there's another birthday, isn't there, Dan? A more important birthday. Is there? Yeah. Who's, whose birthday is it? It's our two-year birthday. Is this that? Is this that? Yes. Oh, well, That's fuck me. That's why I'm back. I thought you were here for the 10-year arrow. Who gives a shit about that? Only kidding, <laughs> Arrow. Happy birthday. And, by the way, uh, uh, because of this very special birthday, Arrow currently have a buy one, get one free sale. It's at HMV. It's at FOP. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but uh, that's what's happening, isn't it, Dan? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I mean... It's great. Obviously, we are staunch supporters of Arrow and all their biz, but this is a very exciting thing. Yeah, they're doing some lots of stuff throughout the uh, throughout the, the period. There's a what's the hashtag, Sam? <laughs> oh well, I would never take the honour of saying that away from you, Dan. What is the hashtag? I, look, we've discussed on Mike that I'm not worthy of saying the hashtag out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Um, For fear that I uh, I can't scroll back through this email chain with Mike fast enough. Well, look, you know the official email address. Yeah, it's the same as that. Just do that it's with a hashtag instead of an app. That's probably that's exactly, probably right, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, I'll try Arrow, and figure it out before the end of the episode. Arrow podcast <laughs> at arrow.co.uk hashtag Hash. forward slash buy one get one free birthday right. hashtag bog off. 
shall we move on to the other business of today? Yeah. Well, so those yeah. of you, those of you who have been with us for a long time, uh, will remember in the dark distant past when Sam was here last. Oh, that was nice. Um, occasionally, we had some complaints about just dealing with the same directors all the time. And so, with Sam coming back, it's like the start of a new chapter. We thought this some would shake some things up. So, Sam, why don't you tell the listener who what film we're doing this time? Well, and, and there's another element to this actually, but I'll, I'll, I'll say the director first. It is Brian De Palma. The film is Dressed to Kill. And uh, basically, Dan and I are going to be recording these on a slightly more regular schedule uh, from this point on. So uh, we're that, that, re- that, that sounds confusing. That sounds like we're going weekly. It's we're, me- merely that we're recording well, them once every two weeks rather than once a month and if, doing two at a time. Yes. Well, Dan, if you would let me finish my sentence, I was Never. about to go on to explain that. But <laughs> fine, yes. Uh, but the point of me saying this is we are now going to strictly do... Uh, my choice, then Dan's choice, then my choice. We're going to take it in turns because in the bad old days, it was a complete mess. So uh, you will know <laughs> you'll know which is uh, Dan's choice, normally the stuff with blackface, and you'll know which stuff is my choice, normally the stuff directed by Brian De Palma. So that's yeah. what we're doing this week. Dress yeah. to Kill. Dan, what is the plot of Dress to Kill? Just to, just to, just to make it extra clear for everybody... It's me if it's a bit sleazy. It's Sam if it's really, really sleazy. And it definitely marries the idea of uh, transvesticism and mental illness. So that's how you tell. There we Um, go. The basic plot of Dress to Kill. Are we doing spoilers? Yes. A man kills women because they give him an erection. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind (laughs) of similar to Psycho in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of that. I mean, yes, don't... I'm terribly sorry. I wasn't saying it was super original. I was just saying it was problematic. Basically, uh, a la Psycho, we have a first act with a female protagonist who is then offed. uh, And then the rest of the movie is a sort of a halfway house between a stalk and slash and a whodunit with a protagonist thrown into a murder mystery. We've got bits from other uh, other tropes from other stuff coming in. It's not a straight uh, Psycho borrow. But obviously, uh, anyone who's familiar with De Palma uh, knows his love of Alfred. And there's stuff from across Alfred's canon, sort of references and homages scattered in. Yeah, it's a lot of psycho. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it sounds like you find this film very offensive, Dan. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, so this is, this is going to expose some things about me. Uh, this, I, I watched this one with Jen. Uh, I'd actually seen it, the first time I watched it was when the Arrow Disc first came out. I'd never never seen it before. I think we um, watched it together, didn't we? That's very possible. Yeah, I think we might have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was... I don't know, like, I'd... I, I remembered... I'd, I hadn't remembered an enormous amount about it. I, I remember the twist and, uh, and, and some of the content. But re-watching it, I, I immediately remembered how very obvious the twist had felt the first time I'd watched it. Mm. But I feel that that might be being unkind on the film as it was first presented, partly because it's such a clean print. Maybe I was seeing things that were meant to be more obscured in the first version. I mean, it's not like I was pausing it and going back and checking, but there's a, uh, there's a, 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 a twist that is quite similar to another Michael Caine film from eight years earlier that is quite heavily like i'd say it's quite obvious is that fair is that fair sam a hundred percent i mean uh, anyone listening to this who has yet to see this film 
I've yeah, ruined it. I'm sorry. It's been ruined. We are going to go into it. But, you know, don't worry too much because anyone, even half cine literate, would get the twist. Like, it's, it's laid on pretty thick. I mean, you know, it, the little mirror on his desk anyone with half the brain would you know spot that that's a, a sim- symbolic of uh dual identity and all that kind of stuff and um but yeah I i'm, I'm not even... sure if um in terms of spotting the twist i think we're probably having a different experience than perhaps the uh, original audience might have had and obviously it was kind of reviled at the time as well um yeah yeah it, it, this film has never been well, it's sort of come and, and gone in terms of respect. It was hated on release, then it was kind of found, it found a new respect and Criterion released a, a lovely disc and and now it's kind of started to move the other way again, especially in the light of uh, Department's sort of more recent films. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know if if anyone won't guess the twist. Well, but so what I was going to say was I don't think it's even about like the signposting and like thematic planting that De Palma is doing arguably a little heavy-handedly throughout the film. It's just down to the fact that it's very obvious who the killer is. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You you see in a you know a quote unquote obscured face, you know, some sunglasses, but it's so obvious who that is in Abs- that moment. A- absolutely. Um, and, and then the film uh, takes itself very seriously, pretending. Or, you know, as though it thinks the audience doesn't know who that is, which means that there's a certain degree of shoe leather in amongst the other stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've got a slightly different take on this to uh, most people or a lot of people uh, in that I see this film as being a very, very dark comedy. I think everything in it that is so over the top is done with a sort of tongue in cheek wink to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd never accuse De Palma of being subtle in, no. in, in, in any way. <laughs> no. But um, just everything's just so exaggerated. Uh, it's like De Palma is confronting the audience in every single scene. Um, it, it originally opened... Do you know about the opening scene, the cut opening scene? Uh, I mean, I assume the original shower scene was lacerated by the censors, or is there more that I don't know about? Yeah, no, there was. It originally opened in a completely different way, with uh, a man shaving his face uh, and then shaving his chest, and then shaving his pubic hair, and then cutting his neck off. So, wow, De Palma, De Palma decided to open it with a sort of different character problem uh, and different genitalia. It seems. So was that when you say it opened that way? Did they film that, or was that just on paper it, and then it changed? It was, it was in the script. Um, okay. I, t- I actually do think it was filmed, um, but it just didn't work. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain it was filmed, and they cut it, um, and then decided to go another way. So, um, so yeah, it, it could have been worse or better, just, depending on your perspective. Yeah, I, I, I'm genuinely at a loss as to work out whether that's better or worse. <laughs> Given this film's uh, some of the some of the moral statements this film is making, it's so I just, so deeply problematic. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I. It's interesting. I don't remember you having this reaction the first time we watched it. What was um, that? What was that, that noise? Was, that, that was pig getting up uh, and answering and shouting at the door. Oh my but, god! But uh, it would only be on my microphone, so Mike will be able to snip it out. 
Amazing. You were, you or were, you leave were... it in. This could be the first appearance of Pig on the podcast. He oh could be. God. He come, could be my replacement. There you go. Come back to me, Pig. Come and come and tell people what you think. He's come a. On. He's got a three-letter name. He'd... Arrow Video oh. Podcast with Dan with and Pig. Dan and Pig. Well, oh, a G instead of an N or an M. It could be Pig and Dan. There you I'll go. Be, I'll be the Sam, and Pig can be the me. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for listening, uh, dear sweet Arrowheads. <laughs> this is the last you'll hear from me. I'm now going to hand over to the new co-host, Pig. Hey, shit. <laughs> you can't hear him because he's not on Skype. He was wheezing into the microphone for Mark. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, right. Yeah, I don't remember you being this um, perturbed by it when we watched it together the first time. I seem to remember you sort of quite enjoying it, which is one of the reasons I picked it. Um, yeah, I, like, I, I certainly remember finding it silly rather than objectionable the first time. Um, I think I probably just wasn't thinking about it in an overtly critical way. I was just, like, letting it wash over me. Right. And as soon as you start to examine it, you realise things like the only asexual woman in the, in the film is the police officer and all the other women who have sex are either prostitutes or cuckolders. The woman who cuckolds at the beginning is rewarded with syphilis from a one-night stand, which is... Yeah, like, I don't know, just... I mean, obviously, on its release, everyone said this is a grotesquely sexist movie. And as you said, it kind of had a bit of a... Oh, but that's De Palma, you know, we can't blame him. And then it's sort of fallen from grace again. So there's not... A, I don't know if there's a lot of value into going into picking it apart. It's just... Yeah, it... I don't know. Like, over the last... This has been something that has been obviously a growing conversation internationally as well. But, and so maybe that's why I'm just more sensitive to it now because I'm trying to be better at seeing these things. Mm. But, but there's, it, it, and, it, and maybe it's just that it falls on a cusp of modernity where it feels like it's just very slightly too recent to be allowed to be that sleazy because there's, there are a lot of like, you know, Italian films and, and earlier movies that have. I think, yeah, that's... that's You know what? You know what I think it is? I think it's that the sexism is problematic, but, and, you know, for right or wrong reasons, I can kind of see... I can look past that as indicative of its era rather than as a statement about now or a correct statement more than I can look past the stuff where it literally says... A, it muddles up multiple personality disorder with schizophrenia but everyone does and whatever but but b it literally says oh well you know he's 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 a transsexual as a as a represent as an excuse or or an explanation for multiple personality disorder as though they are exactly the same thing yeah and it's yeah it's just yeah it's just not very nice (laughs) yeah no it's interesting you mentioned the italian stuff because i mean just to this was only 1980, um, so it's not yeah. like it's, you know, raising cane. Well, like era. I said... It's on yeah. the tail end of the 70s. But, yeah, I, I find the relationship between the Italian cinema and, and this sort of period of um, De Palma's career really interesting. And, you know, I, I said on the Carrie episode that I felt like that film was a possible influence on Argento. And Dress to Kill feels like De Palma and Argento kind of in conversation with each other. Um, it's kind of De Palma's giallo. Uh, it really feels like it's in the tradition of Argento's early films, like The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And then Tenebrae was released two years after Dress to Kill, and it feels like there's a kind of quite a strong connection between the two films. I would say that I prefer Tenebrae, 
but yeah, by a country mile. Yeah, but you know, it's it's. I mean, it's still a bit dodgy to a certain extent. That film, it's just a, a generally pretty problematic era, um, especially in certain sub genres of cinema. Yeah, absolutely. I just. It's very difficult to put my finger on what it is about this one that feels like it's less excusable than a lot of the others. I mean, do you know and what? It's one... interesting to compare it to Raising Cain mm. because obviously that deals with a lot of the same things and it is a, it's a few years later, but it deals with them, although it's still like, you know, vastly unsubtle and not overtly sympathetic, it doesn't make a lot of the same like comparisons and, and assumptions that this does. And as a result, I think it, it ends up, whether deliberately or not, being a much more sensitive handling. Well, I, I, it's really interesting because obviously, you know, De Palma uh, clearly didn't like going to his therapist or his psychiatrist because, no. you know, he's made several films where psychiatrists are <laughs> not necessarily the best people in the film. It's it's in this, it's in uh, Raising Cain, as we mentioned, and it's in Sisters as well. I wonder if one of the issues with this film for you potentially i don't want to speak on your behalf but one of the interesting elements of it is that it's such a personal film from de palma it's got this weird biographical really straight biographical stuff like you know the computer that the kid builds you know in his room that he shows his mum de palma had production design replicate exactly a computer that he built himself so you kind of mix in this kind of biographical content and quality and tone with the crazy shit that's in this film i wonder if that's slightly disconcerting and sort of makes the problematic stuff feel like it's the author's voice because other stuff in it is the author's voice does that make sense that does i mean that does make a lot of sense i didn't actually know about the computer Uh, i didn't know quite how autobiographical it was i would say it might make it slightly worse (laughs) knowing that um because as you say you know like when so there's two different types of objectionable content in a film, I think. There's objectionable content that signifies a character and their beliefs, and there's objectionable content that signifies the creator or the artist's beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a particular filmmaker that Sam and I have a, a similar feeling about, like, as in, not similar to the Palmer, we, we share an opinion, Sam and I, and I'm not going to say who they are because we ch- decided a, a few episodes back not to give them the publicity, but they, in a, a, a comparatively recent film of theirs, there's a scene where a bunch of characters are in conversation saying a whole bunch of objectionable shit and none of them, like they all agree, none of them are, are holding it to task, which immediately becomes about establishing truths in the world and therefore it's the creator's voice. If characters are arguing or one sh- character is shown as being deficient, either morally or you know, intellectually or whatever, because of the objectionable views they have, then the, art- the author or the artist can legitimately say, it's not what I believe, I am establishing elements of this character. Uh, and I think that a lot of the stuff in this film is... V- isn't questioned there's a, a lot of the problematic stuff is just this is what the world is like this is how diplomacy is the world yeah i i just think that yeah i i don't necessarily agree um that this is how diplomacy is the world i think it's um he's basically you know he loves hitchcock he's seen the kind of latent stuff that's that's in hitchcock's films and you know especially in psycho uh, you know that's problematic in a in several slightly different ways. Yeah, and I just think he's 
he just wanted to make this really exaggerated version of that film um, to shock audiences and, you know, who knows how much research he did into various things. I think he just wanted to go as shocking as possible. I think that's uh, part of uh, part of his style, generally. Yeah, I think the same could be said about the person whose name we don't say. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, just to make it clear to the dear sweet listeners, the precious arrowheads, uh, this is not my favourite De Palma film, and it's not even my favourite De Palma film that's part of the Criterion Collection. However, it is an excellent disc. Uh, there's oh, lot, a, yeah. There's lots of really good stuff on here. Uh, there's a lovely interview with Nancy Allen, and she actually touches on loads of different stuff, actually. She talks about the editing, she talks about the costuming. Um, you know, De Palma and Nancy Allen were married um, when they made this movie so you know clearly he involved her in all sorts of different areas um and she also talks about the sexism and the the sort of reaction to it when it came out and her initial reaction to all that as his wife was she was quite confused by it and, and didn't understand that reaction however i do get the sense that as time has passed maybe she's reflected on it a little bit more um it's a really interesting interview it's a great documentary what what uh, extras did you like dan um I, to be completely honest i didn't dip too far into the extras it's a you know it's a it's a standard straight up job from arrow the prince gorgeous so yeah it's it is a really good disc shall we move on to recommendations absolutely do you want to go first? I could go first. So I'm going to recommend uh, a rival company's disc. Sorry, Arrow, happy birthday. Uh, because I'm <laughs> going to recommend Body Double, uh, which is on Indicator, not Arrow. And it's just a really strong companion to Dress to Kill. Uh, I probably prefer it. In fact, I definitely prefer it. Uh, it still has some weird problematic palmery stuff in it but it's just a fantastic film and it would make a great double bill with dress to kill i think i'm not going to say anything more about it because if you haven't seen it it should be a blind buy and there's lots of good extras on that blu-ray as well and it's a lovely print dan what is your first recommendation based on dress to kill so i decided to lean headfirst into the hypocrisy of my tastes uh, <laughs> after lambasting <laughs> Dress to Kill so much for its problematic content. My first recommendation, another film from 1980. I'd say almost as sleazy, maybe even sleazier, but um, there's a really beautiful special edition of Maniac out. Um, (laughs) With the William Lustig picture. It is... I mean, it's it's definitely a, a like a grimier film. <laughs> Look, right? I, 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 fucking... I, I think it's the position they take in the world. Like, De Palma is he's part of the Spielberg and Lucas school of film, you know, class at film school. There, he's the one they thought was going to succeed. He's essentially mainstream sleaze. And I think that that comes with a slightly higher level of responsibility. Come on, that's ridiculous. You can't say that. I don't know. Like, that it's, is okay, crazy. So no, okay, so there's a film uh, out uh, on... It's a Netflix picture. It just came out. There were some quite heated debates online that uh, Jennifer and myself were part of. Uh, musical, music one. The Perfection. Did you see The Perfection? No, I don't watch Netflix. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, of course. You complained about Tarantino doing that thing he wanted to do. Let <laughs> me quit. Quit Netflix. Correct. Yeah, so basically... To, without too many spoilers, because 
there's probably people out there who haven't watched it and they might they might want to but the perfection is ostensibly a western attempt to make a korean film uh which goes to some way justify the content because it's like you know it's whacking all over the place uh it's about a um a young woman who was a, a musical prodigy at a at an illustrious and and very elite musical school musical academy she had to leave their like honors program to go and look after her sick mother um after her mother passes she goes back and and meets her sort of rep- her erstwhile replacement this new sort of wunderkind uh, with whom she forms a, a close friendship and then relationship uh and then shit goes weird it's at best a really fucking silly film um and i think there are elements there to enjoy the problem is that it got positioned and whether or not this was the filmmakers or or Netflix's marketing or whatever, but the way it got positioned was like it was a a strong feminist narrative, which it is 100% fucking not. It is, it's got a lot of like male gaze, bondage fantasy, maybe rape fantasy stuff going on in it. It's not a particularly nice film. Um, It's quite slick. It's got a couple of effective moments in it and there's some good acting. There's a lot of silly fucking dialogue and and it's a very problematic movie. But... But all of that is made much, much worse by the fact that it was positioned as a as a feminist picture, which it's it's not. It's the opposite. And I think that with Dress to Kill, because it it's sort of semi-masquerading as a mainstream movie, mainstream movies are by their nature meant to sort of sit within the the common ground of of moral comfort. Like those those films wow. are. Like, but that, but that's literally what makes a mainstream. That's why a studio puts that kind of budget yeah, in because I, they I, can I lowest common denominator the shit out of it. And so, when William Lustig makes something like Maniac, he's making that for a grindhouse audience. He doesn't need to sell tickets. Yeah, but, he's, right. He's uh, can I can I just can series. I stop you there, Dan? Because, yeah, of course. Um, this Drastical was funded by independent money. Um, it, it's not a studio picture. Um, and it's De Palma making a crazy giallo and getting it in front of as big an audience as he can there's no way this was intended to be like basic instinct or something like that this is genuinely him in conversation with those italian films so i do think that's a little bit unfair well that's just maybe maniac's good it's really good it's really good um it's It's really really good it's a great recommendation and i just yeah i just i don't mean to be pedantic but you know i just uh i don't understand your position sometimes you sort of yeah it's it's interesting uh as as i said i find it easier to get past the astonishing sexism than i do the uh the 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 the, uh mental illness stuff in dress to kill but overall i just found it like the thing is the other thing is that i don't think it's a particularly good film there you go i mean that obviously and, and and that's it isn't it like the People who say, "Oh, I, I can't, I can separate the art from the artist," they don't make an effort if it's not a good picture. Like it's all, it's comparatively easy to say, "Well, but you know, Rosemary's Baby is one of the best horror films ever made." That you know, that guy's a piece of shit. But but Rosemary's Baby is astonishingly good, and so you'll much more often hear people arguing the benefit of separating the artist, the art from the artist, with that film than you will with. Um, what's the name of that guy who makes all the like like hard ticket to Hawaii and that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. 
I can't remember his name, like, but yes. yes. No one no one's no one's saying, well, but you know, you've got to separate the misogyny from the quality of those films. See, and again, I think we're coming at this from a slightly different angle because for me, I would say that a film like um Blowout is equal to Rosemary's Baby. Um, I do not think that Dress to Kill is, but I think at his best, De Palma is uh, as good an auteur as anyone, uh, good a director as anyone. I know you hate the term auteur, Dan. Uh, <laughs> I didn't just say that on purpose to annoy you. It's uh, fine. But yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think I just love De Palma a little bit more than you do. And so... Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely you do. And the thing is, I do love some of his films. I really do. And I do think that he has it in him to be an exceptionally good director. Mm. I just don't think that this is one of those films. Yeah, and I would agree. So that's a nice way for me to go into my... <laughs> Next recommendation, (laughs) (laughs) which is not a De Palma film and has only the bare minimum connection to uh, De Palma or indeed Dress to Kill. But that film is The Last Detail, which is Nancy Allen's first movie. And I wanted to sort of celebrate Nancy Allen to a certain extent. Uh, She has made sort of, well, I'm not going to say she's made better movies because Last Detail is fucking amazing. But she's had bigger roles in other movies but this is her first appearance and uh, she is hardly in it but I will take any opportunity to recommend The Last Detail if I've you... never seen it well uh, I will give you a very brief non-spoiler plot synopsis uh, basically two Navy men have to escort a prisoner and decide to show him a good time before he goes away uh, it's basically a hangout movie uh, when you watch it today but on release it was very sort of subtly politically charged it was kind of humanizing the american military during vietnam and yeah it contains jack nicholson's favorite of his own performances it was uh, the start of a oscar nominated run um for him uh he would eventually win for one flew over the cuckoo's nest but uh yeah. he is so good in this film it's hal ashby it's very kind of Gentle in places, but also it was controversial on release because the word fuck was said a record number of times at, at this point, <laughs> but um, it was all part of the the naturalism of the film. It is also out on Indicator. I'm so sorry, Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> An Indicator special. But, you know, what can I say? It's a great film and I recommend it. Dan, what's your next recommendation from Dress to Kill? Well, you're going to fucking love this, Sam. Oh, Because yes. I'm, I'm digging in even deeper with the hypocrisy. I love it. The next film I'm recommending. Now, the, the caveat that I'm putting in is that, A, this is from 1968, <laughs> when they knew even less well. 2001 knew, A Space Odyssey. Yes. That, <laughs> wow. the, most, the most sexist of films. No, <laughs> well, it does uh, have hardly any women in it. It's, it's directed by Roy Bolting. Do you know what I'm talking about from 1968? No. It's uh, See, the reason this is hypocritical is because this one also directly links psychopathic tendencies and mental illness. Oh. But, um, but at it, least... Not... No, go on. At least they had to put a big card at the front apologising and <laughs> saying that they weren't directly relating being an axe murderer to Down syndrome. Twisted um, nerve. It is twisted nerve. Oh, damn. Um, it's... Oh, yeah, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> obviously even if you haven't seen it you know the music it's Hayley Mills in a an axe murderer picture god knows what she was thinking it's it's just an astonishing slice of British cinema from the uh, late 60s and if you if you want some some legitimized sleaze then uh, then yeah there you go just more to, of that 
just to put this into context, Dan, I did have this on my long list. <laughs> <laughs> Do you but, want to hear some of my other long list but titles? Then, but then I thought, no, that's even that's too much for me. But no, it is, <laughs> I can see why you've recommended it. It is thematically, you know, yeah, it, it definitely works as a recommendation. And uh, yeah, it's good to celebrate British film, even if times were sh- sure were different back then. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, what else was on your long list? My the the my almost ran was Andrea Bianchi's uh, 1975 strip nude for your killer. <laughs> yeah, another great recommendation. And I'm not judging you, by the way, on this. I'm just I'm here to play devil's advocate and no, and I, know, really I know, find out you know what's going on here. And um, yeah, I have my own theories, but uh, I'm going to move on <laughs> to recommendations from the past couple of weeks, Dan. Yeah, you do that. I would like to recommend a non-indicator film. It's a film called Johnny Hamlet. Have you seen Johnny Hamlet, Dan? I haven't seen Johnny Hamlet. What's Johnny Hamlet? Holy fuck, you would love this film. Genuinely, you would love this film. So it is a spaghetti western, I think also from 68. But yeah, it basically opens like a a Mario Bava horror movie before directly quoting Shakespeare in a style that feels like Fellini before going into a setup that looks like something out of the seventh seal. And that's all in the first three minutes. Yeah, it's just beautifully shot the camera is put into lots of different imaginative places loads of intelligence to the way it's shot and edited it's got a wonderful score and yeah it's it's only available on a german dvd at the moment uh for the uk so someone like arrow should definitely pick it up as it is a beautiful piece of work johnny hamlet Dan. I'll be, yeah, I, I, I may may get myself a German disc. I've been picking up a load of old German releases of Italian uh, cop films recently. Some pretty great stuff out. So, yeah, I've, I, I have my, my, my toes in the German disc market. It, it has, a, as so many of these films did, uh, it has a, a Django title, uh, and it says Django on the front of the German DVD. So don't be too worried if that's what turns up, dear sweet listener. And Dan, you don't need to buy it because I can lend it to you. I will see you again. We are not only going to talk via Skype. As long as I put the, the, the hair and clothes mannequin in the cupboard under the stairs. Exactly. And, and <laughs> Chuck Pig in there as well. Oh, no, he's an absolute delight. Also, he'll eat the eyes I've put in it. <laughs> well, he's my rival now, so, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, fair enough. I can see why you'd be battling. <laughs> so, Dan, what have you been watching recently? I uh, I watched, uh, for the first time, uh, Shocking Dark, the Bruno Matai uh, picture. It's out on uh, Severin, have given it, uh, as, as is often the case with those, uh, the American sort of, like, weird uh, boutique labels. You're like, does this... Does this film deserve this kind of treatment? <laughs> <laughs> now, is Shocking Dark, is that the Terminator ripoff or is that the Alien ripoff or is it both? It is both. Yes, okay, good. Yes, it's I the one. It. It's, it's the one that largely takes place. It, it takes place in the most exotic of locales, Sam, in Venice. <laughs> Can you imagine such a cinematic space as Venice? Oh, wow. All four shots of which are above ground. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's got some, it's some proper samurai cop level dialogue yeah uh yeah it's venice is flooding and and is polluted there's some political intrigue uh, about uh, a scheme to clean the waters uh which is actually a cover-up for a much more nefarious military plot most of the film takes place with a bunch of people including the like the most anti-italian racist woman <laughs> who is just a, like given that it's written by italians they were like oh we can say this right 
we can say this. He's like, it's so bad. Mm. It's yeah, it's just astonishing. And and there's an amazing monster. <laughs> amazing. Also, as I did when I watched it in a hotel at two in the morning, I strongly suggest you watch it with the hard of hearing subtitles on. <laughs> <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, do they use subtitles for the sound effects, or is it just the dialogue? Oh, it's the sound effects. Sound. Oh, that's the that's yes. the hard of hearing beauty. Yes. For example, how would you subtitle "repeated gunfire"? Um, bang, 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 bang. No, 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 Sam. It's it's not that. It's just guns booming, <laughs> flashing up again and again. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite ever hard of hearing subtitle is uh, <laughs> uh, is, is in Jason Goes to Hell. Yes. And it's when Jason falls down and as you're watching the film with the sound on, there is no sound. So I don't know why they decided to put this in, but just uh, this one sad, small, lonely word appears on the screen as he falls down. Plop. (laughs) Plop. Maybe it's a criticism. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Someone just doesn't like the film. I mean, it could be a review, yes. A a sort of uh, underground pirate radio style review i like it right (laughs) speaking of uh the underground to a certain extent not really i'm not very good at segues my next recommendation is a film called blue collar dan i imagine you'd have seen blue collar yes yes uh wonderful film it's one of the best films about class and capitalism i've ever seen i saw it when i was younger in my sort of uh early teens um or maybe just before, actually, maybe when I was 12. But anyway, uh, it was around the time that, you know, I was discovering Scorsese and Taxi Driver and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you find out about Paul Schrader and then you go down that route. And I think I didn't really understand Blue Collar all that much when I first saw it. I still enjoyed it, but because it's got a great story and a great structure. Um, But yeah, just watching it now as an adult, Again, on Indicator, <laughs> I promise you I'm not getting separate pay from Indicator. It's just, it's just a coincidence that, you know. Uh, anyway. Um, I've noticed all those 50s you've been spending have had the little, like, Indicator logo at the bottom. <laughs> happy birthday, Indicator. That's all I'm going to say. It's not their birthday. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Arrow. Happy birthday, Arrow. Yeah, so it's just got this real raw power. Um, Richard Pryor is incredible, um, as is Jafet Koto and Harvey Keitel, but there's just something really special for me about Pryor's performance. Um, In case there's anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, it's basically about three sort of car factory workers who decide to take on their union through criminal means. And yeah, it's just... I, I get the sense that... I don't know how you feel about this, Dan, but the very last shot and there's repeated dialogue from earlier in the film that appears over that last shot i wonder if that was put in because whoever was involved decided that audiences are idiots and they really needed that kind of slightly on the nose quote to come back in um but but you know whatever the reason for some reason this time i was really moved by it (laughs) it might have been put in there you know, to service idiots. But as it turns out, I'm an idiot because I really, I was quite moved by that um, that line coming back in. So, yes, and especially in the current uh, climate um, across the world, but especially in the UK and America, uh, I think Blue Collar is a very relevant film for our times and, uh, yeah, retains a lot of the power uh, from its first release. So, yeah, that's my recommendation for the past couple of weeks done 
Nice. Shall I go? Shall I do the yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for uh, Pig to interject, but uh, oh, he's no, gone. He's gone to sleep again. He's useless. <laughs> <laughs> he's just nothing but a lap warmer. My Perfect. next recommendation isn't a film, Sam. You like oh. it when I do that. You've done it as well. I think you've done books and comics, haven't you? But um, I've never yeah, done no, a mine's... comic. Disgusting. I think, I think you have. Well, maybe I have. <laughs> maybe I. Maybe I did. Yeah, I, <laughs> oh, you did, I did. You definitely did. I did the did. Hellraiser comics. Yes, you uh, did. Or, or and I tapping think the you, vein or something. I think for Ring, you did a comic. Anyway, carry on. Ozumaki, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yeah. No, it's. <laughs> yes, he's back. <laughs> you, you can't cut that. Being recommended, pig. <laughs> oh, Pig, calm down, boy. I bet be careful. Okay. He is his, actually going to replace His hackles are right up. Oh. His back's all. Oh, he's got his back up. Uh oh. I'm, t- I'm tickling him, so he's, he's calmed down again. I, I think, like me, he's upset by the idea of a comic being recommended on this podcast. But, Dan, what is the comic? You endorsed it. You endorsed it. It's not a comic, it's a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> it's still moving images on a screen. You don't have to do any reading. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, what's the TV um, it's, show? Oh, it's the it's the Catch Twenty Two show, which will have premiered. The first episode would have premiered on UK TV like two or three days ago. I've heard good things about this. It's so good. Mm. It's so good. Um, so I, uh, Jen, and I were lucky enough to go along to a preview screening of it. Um, the film I just finished in Toronto uh, uh, co-stars Chris Abbott, um, who is uh, playing Yasarian in the new George Clooney produced and co-directed series those of you who know me uh, already know those of you who don't know me may be surprised to know i think george clooney is an exceptional director uh, confessions of dangerous mind is fantastic but i actually really like pretty much his entire output as a director um i can't think of anything i don't like yeah it's it's really good it's one of my favorite books if not my maybe my second favorite book of all time what I didn't realise until we went to the screening was that it's essentially on it's it's on the American like literature curriculum. It's because it's the best American novel. Obviously, it's on their curriculum. But what I hadn't thought about is that that means that literally everyone who's studied like basic English in America has read it because you know it's it is to them what like you know King Lear is to us. So it's a it's it's a much more like it's much more well known in America than it is. Not that it's in any way unknown over here, but but it's uh, yeah, it's a really good. Um, really good adaptation. The um, the movie uh, from the seventies is a fine film. It's not a particularly good adaptation, though. This is, captures something like a sort of the the closing madness of Yasarian and the the just the despair of all of it really really well. Wow. Um, and and Chris is fucking great in it. So yeah, check it out. It's really good. Nice one. That's it, isn't it? Shall we move on to extra features? Extra features. Have we got some extra features? Extra features. Extra features? Extra features. Uh, I believe we have no extra features unless you have extra features. We've got a hashtag that I've looked up. Yeah! <laughs> Eat that. It's hashtag my arrow video. Um, uh, obviously, as we mentioned earlier, it's Arrow's 10-year anniversary. They've got all sorts of stuff going on. Um, obviously, the sale that we mentioned, which is in one other place other than HMV and FOP, Sam. What's the other place, Dan? It's the Arrow website, Sam. Ah, uh, yes. It's also happening at good old Arrow Towers. So yeah, you can go and do that. <laughs> but uh, they also want you to like, you know, photograph your collection and tell them about your favourite title and all that kind of stuff. And that's all through the hashtag 
uh, my Arrow video. I've, so I've, do that. Yeah, please do that. I've seen a couple of those collection pictures uh, pop up on Twitter, and they're lovely to see. Uh, yeah, nice. I, I do like um, collection pictures. Maybe I'll put one up of my indicator collection. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Please, you know, if you want to cut it, Arrow, that's fine. But that was that was a joke. So good. <laughs> I'm always, I, I always remember the uh, Make Mine Criterion podcast talking about this podcast and being surprised that it was official because we're <laughs> allowed to discuss other people's titles and also I'm allowed, well, we're both allowed to rag on the films if we so, you know, if we so wish. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think that's good. I think it keeps quite, us it keeps us honest, and uh, yeah, people know when we love a film, they know that we it. really do love it, and it's not just uh, you know shill shill exactly. And I think it's one of the things that people like about us, if indeed they do like us still, after we've just been quite argumentative <laughs> again and a little bit. I don't know, but that's, I've missed you, Dan. Brand, I've missed this it? podcast. Yeah, man, it's been it's it's been a long time. Uh, but yeah, it was really nice to have you back. So yeah. there we go. Till next time. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <This> I'm out. <laughs> I know you ended your, you know, your documentary podcast in a, in a different way, but we're going back to the format now. So how about oh, you give your social media information? Oh, God. Okay. Instagram and Twitter are both at 13fingerfx. And you can get me on Twitter at Sam Ashurst. Uh, that is my name. You can also get me on Instagram at Sam Ashurst23. And I am in pre production on the second feature at the moment. Things could all fall apart, as these things can uh, do. But with a little bit of luck, I'll be shooting stuff next month. So you may see things pop up on that channel ignore deep cut videos deep cut videos is dead i'm now shooting oh, no. another film uh so i'm gonna be too busy with that to do dead my, or hiatus uh, uh hi- hiatus i guess but i can't be bothered to do a video saying that so um <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just ghosting on your watchers your subscribers they'll wait i'll be back uh maybe even with behind the scenes stuff from the new film who knows there uh, you go. don't expect that that probably won't happen that's uh, a promise everyone you heard it here <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes thank you so much for listening and we promise we'll be more professional next time yeah bye bye